HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My Family Recipe is a new podcast from Food52 and Heritage Radio Network, bringing you cherished heirloom recipes and the stories behind them. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Item 13, an African food podcast, and I'm your host, Yom Akuaku. Every week, we'll delve into the delicious world of African food, including chefs, curators, and bloggers. Here's the show. Honored to have Indidi on the show today. Um, from Changing Nar- Narratives Africa, we're going to talk about entrepreneurship, agriculture, food, and young people of the continent. Um, it's, it's a topic that's also precious to me, and so I'm excited to dive in. Um, welcome to the show, Ndidi. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So we'll start by having you share a little bit about yourself, your background. You have a very impressive background, so don't be shy. <laughs> I want people to know... <laughs> Um, how you're coming into the space, so every, you know, where you grew up, um, your background, um, and sort of how you ended up in this space, if you will. Thank you so much, Yom. I was born and raised in Enugu, Nigeria, which is a southeastern part of Nigeria, um, to an academic family. My parents mm. are professors, uh, so they had very high aspirations for <laughs> us. Uh, third of five children. And I left Nigeria when I was 16. I never planned on leaving so early, but it was the height of the Abasha regime. And the university campuses were a hotbed of um, protests and universities were closed for six months to a year. Um, And our schools were interrupted often. Um, So I basically moved to the U.S. first to start a prep school, finished high school. Uh, we call it secondary school in mm. Nigeria uh, at the Clarkson School and then went on to the Watson School of the University of Pennsylvania where I studied multinational management and strategic management and then went from there to work at McKinsey in the Chicago office. Uh, worked in the New York and Johannesburg office as well. Um, then came back and went back to business school at Harvard Business School. And then went back to McKinsey for a short stint. And in 2000, I moved back to Nigeria to set up uh, the Faith Foundation. I served as the Pioneer Executive Director. Um, and then the rest is history. <laughs> but I have very strong ties to Nigeria, uh, very strong ties to, to the work um, on the ground. And mm-hmm. my mom was 
very uh, insightful. I mean, she had a lot of foresight. She actually used to send me annual reports of Nigerian companies when I was in school. Oh, wow. In the US. <laughs> and some <laughs> of those companies, I ended up serving on their boards. Um, and it's just amazing to see, you know, how that has, has played wow. out. But I that, yeah, I play that God has, has had such an amazing um, impact on my life. It's really mm. been of uh, divine intervention. I always say that I never planned on ever moving back to Nigeria. I left in, in 92 at the heart of the ministry <laughs> era. Yeah. And, um, and one day I got a, a, an offer for, from a Nigerian company uh, offering me a summer internship. And um, I was really you know, worried. Who gives an offer without an interview? Right. But that was a life experience and all of that. I've, I've put it on uh, LinkedIn, the story of you know, a, a divine divine intervention and angels at work in my life so please oh, check it out yeah I'll, I'll look that up and share with the audience and this comes out wow <laughs> um oh. cool and so then let's talk about ch- starting changing narratives africa so that wasn't that wasn't until much later after you moved to nigeria right so tell us a little bit about that how did you sort of what was the impetus to start it and then what are you hoping to achieve with it i guess Yes, so I'm a serial social entrepreneur. Um, I have started a number of organizations. One is called Ace Foods, which is an agro-processing company, mm. which was 2009. We processed spices and complementary food. And we started Ace Foods, my husband and I, because we believe that, you know, we have the best fruits and vegetables, herbs and spices in mm. the world. We wanted to, you know, process for the local market and displace imports. And then we started Sahel Consulting, which works across Africa, uh, creating ecosystem solutions, shaping value chains, shaping policy, and then um, nourishing Africa, which is a, a home for a million entrepreneurs in the food and ag- in the food and agricultural landscape in Africa. And through these interventions, I, over the last twelve years, I've realized that you know Africa is naturally endowed for agricultural excellence. We have the best food in the world. Uh, majority of our population works in this ecosystem, and yet the rest of the world doesn't know about the amazing food, Mm -hmm. the cooking methods, the plants and vegetables, um, all the great attributes of African food. And so Changing Narratives Africa was established just this year to serve as a bridge between Africa and the rest of the world, connecting our food to the rest of the world. And I have to tell you, I started it out of frustration. I would go to speak at conferences all over the world on food and agriculture, and I'd hear a single story you know, Africans are hungry. Africans need our help. Um, the face of Africa is a hungry child. The mm-hmm. face of poverty is is a is an African female farmer. And while some of that is true, that made me really angry because it's a single story. Like my friend Shimamanda Adichie says, there's a yeah. danger story. Um, so Changing Narratives Africa tries to dispel that single story by showcasing what we have to contribute to the world um, and building bridges. Uh, and so it's it's a startup, my dear, and we're still still uh, working through the growing pain. But I'm really excited because it's almost a culmination of a lot of the things that I've been doing over the last 25 years in in the food and agriculture yeah. and development landscape. Yeah, that's. I mean, I think that is almost always that um, origin story, if you will, for a lot of the people that end up speaking to me on the podcast in terms of the different work that they do that we all get to a point where we are frustrated literally by the narratives it's actually like the name of your startup is perfect so we are all frustrated by the narratives around 
food in Africa, right? And it's like for how large and complex and for the variety of, you know, foods and stuff that we have, it's almost appalling that um, the, what's the right word? The, for lack of a better term, the reputation of, of the continent is is um, hinged on this idea of, of hunger and poverty, you know, um, versus all of the other things that we have to offer. Um, I want to stay on the specific, I know it's, it's still early days, but um, just in perusing your website, I know that there are things that, you know, uh, that fall under the changing narratives, Africa umbrella, that I would like to just poke on a little bit. One is the African, the Narrative Changes African Food Fellowship, if you want to talk about that a little bit. Yes, yes. So I'm really excited about that. We've just uh, started the initiative and the vision behind the Narrative Changes Food Fellowship is basically to identify amazing entrepreneurs from the African continent or in the diaspora that are ready to scale their food and beverage products to the world. And we basically want to ensure that by the end of next year, 2022, mm -hmm. we have at least 10 African brands on shelves, all the major shelves of Whole Foods, Target, Walmart, Amazon, oh and gosh. all different uh, play, play key channels in the world. And so what we did was um, at the end of August, issue a call for applications. We got over 400 applications oh, of wow. really dynamic, amazing companies from across Africa. Uh, we're in the process of selecting 10. Um, that will start up in our food fellowship program from January 1st up till June. And we're already in active conversations with a lot of the retailers and logistics providers, uh, because it's not just enough to have a strong brand, a strong product that's ready to get on shelves. You have to meet certification standards. Mm -hmm. uh, we have to ensure that we address the logistic bottlenecks, the cost of shipping from Africa. Uh, we also want to ensure that we meet the price points required by some of these um, retailers and then build a lot of the messaging, advertising support required to drive demand. And that's so one piece is the Changing Narratives Africa Food Fellowship and, and that's underway. And uh, by the middle of November, we'll actually announce the wonderful entrepreneurs that have been selected. They've been working really hard through the different mm -hmm. phases of, of the screening process. And then the second bit is actually why I reached out to you, Leon, because what we know is it's not enough to have the products. We have great food, but we have to build the stories around them. And so we have uh, the, the media component of our work, which is partnering with individuals such as yourself to ensure that we have more positive stories out there in the public domain. We're going to be doing a lot of podcasts around the value chains that our entrepreneurs are engaged in. Yom, I hope you'll also feature all of these 10 entrepreneurs on your absolutely and and actually yeah. i mean for everyone that's listening i'm, I'm gonna put Nidia on the spot i feel like um in january like i can dedicate the whole season to them and so feature everybody that's coming fantastic. you know for 10 episodes fantastic. and that could fantastic. be i because i'm listening to you right now i'm getting goosebumps sorry i'm just like <laughs> i'm listening to Thank you right you. now and i'm thinking of like all of the people and i'm getting a little teary too like i'm thinking thinking of all the people who've come on the podcast and even just last so the episode before this one when people listen to there's so many people that have great ideas of things they want to do with their food they just don't have the the infrastructure you're putting, you're putting in place for these entrepreneurs is just amazing. It's, it's not that people are not talented or don't have the ideas. Or it's just 
that infrastructure piece, whether it's capital, getting distribution logistics, that piece is what's missing. And so, you know, using all of your talents and networking and all of that good stuff to do this, it's like amazing. (laughs) Um, And so that's going to be my first, I'm getting, I'm putting it out there, my first contribution, not my only contribution. Thank you. It's to dedicate next season to, 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 to these um, entrepreneurs. That's, that's, I I think it's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm excited. Um, yeah, and, and you know, the, the media piece is so critical. The work you do mm-hmm. and the work others do is so critical. That's why we already put our a link to your podcast. But we're also talking oh, to some you. major <laughs> Yeah, we're also talking to some major studios about um, creating a documentary, a docu-series on how African food has changed the world. Uh, we were really inspired by High on the Hot. Yeah. So our docu-series is really very similar, but really focused on how African food has changed the world. Uh, we're going to be, you know, showcasing different components of our food. Um, so watch this space. Um, it's really exciting. Yeah, and, uh, that's exciting. I'm not, I'm not, yeah, I'm not in the media industry, but I realize media is so mm-hmm. powerful. Um, and, and we have to take advantage of it and partner with media change agents as well. And then the third thing is really around convenience. Um, we believe that there they has to be a stronger link between the ecosystem players on the continent and ecosystem players globally. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know each other. We don't work together. We need to do a lot more together to amplify our voices and our work. And so we had a, the first convening on the sidelines of the UN Food System Summit about Africa's contribution mm-hmm. to the global food ecosystem. Um, in September, then we had a session in October on the future of food uh, in partnership with Siegel Family Foundation and BMW Foundation, really saying, you know, there's an alternative narrative out there and Africa is shaping the future of food globally. And that was really uh, inspiring. And we had Chef Pierre and uh, Kitchen Butterfly. And um, and yeah, really, yeah, yeah, I think I really that. phenomenal mm-hmm. people. So um, I'm just excited about uh, what the momentum that's building. And like you said, it's all about the working together, partnerships, mm-hmm. collaborations, um, and and amplifying our voices. I just yeah. had a great conversation with a, one of our leading U.S. airlines, and they responded immediately saying, "We're ready. We're interested in seeing the, some of the snacks we can put on our." Oh, that's America. amazing! And I said. It's, it's not even the volumes that are going to come from the airline, but it's the signaling, right? Yes. The fact yeah. that, you know, I can, I, I, I picked up yesterday on my flight, you know, Asian crackers on, and it was, it was labeled <laughs> Asian crackers on the plane. And, and it was just a mix of different Asian uh, snacks. And I said, next year, we're going to see an, you know, West African <laughs> savory snack. Right? Oh, yeah. Smart yeah. jobs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Whatever it is, we're going to have it there. So the point is that immediately they already connected us and they're ready. Can I send some samples? Yeah. And I'm like, in a few weeks, we'll have our 10 entrepreneurs and their samples. But I just, I'm excited about the momentum and the interest. And I look at what the Japanese have done with sushi. Right. And that's what inspires me. It was very systematic. It was uh, built on partnerships and certification and also ensuring that it was proudly Japanese. Mm -hmm. Um, And there were links to to entrepreneurs back home in Japan, because the the, the reality is if we can create these linkages, it directly translates to more jobs on the continent. The economic Um, impact from this is also really important. Exactly. Gender equity, um, because women are going to be at the forefront of what we do. 
um, and our entrepreneurs already, I've just seen the short list. We have, you know, more women even than men. That's amazing. Um, who have submitted um, proposals. And then the, the, the impact on how people view Africa and Africans, you know, once you eat people's food and you love it, you start loving them. And I think food connects us in ways mm -hmm. that only music and maybe movies do. That way you don't need to, you know, have been to a country to appreciate the country because yeah. you understand that food is, is a way of communicating. It's, it's um, culture. And as one of my entrepreneurs said, Lusogo, it's also currency because you can generate income yeah. and you can change your life. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Um, you also, um, actually under the convenience bucket, and let me know if this isn't happening anymore. I saw, I saw Montreal for next year and I got excited. <laughs> yeah, we're planning to, we're actually planning to, food festivals, one in Canada, and uh, it's either between Montreal and Toronto. Mm. And the second is in, in Boston. So oh. we're gonna be having African food festivals, yeah, that are going to be centered around the schools because everyone knows that the Gen Z population are still change agents and they're open to exploring and learning and growing. Uh, so I'm in conversations with Harvard for that, and but it won't just be Harvard, a, a number of schools in the Boston area. And then the same in Montreal, I'm doing a senior fellowship at um, McGill. So okay. Montreal is a huge contender, but the, the Africans in Toronto are saying, why are you starting? Yeah, right. <laughs> Montreal is truly a food capital. And yeah. it's like a food space. Um, but the, the, Montre the McGill team is quite excited about this option as well. And so it's, yeah. it's all so Toronto Toronto people should fly to Montreal. Like, <laughs> I, lived, I think I told you, I lived in Toronto too. And um, okay. I understand why that would make sense as an initial place. But I also love Montreal. So I feel like if I was going to travel somewhere that I haven't been in a while, I'd love to go back to Montreal. So Fantastic. So that's, you're, you're that's, for Montreal, that's my only, you. that's my only, yeah. yeah, my vote is for Montreal. Sorry, Toronto. Okay. So we'll stick with Montreal. You've convinced me. Um, because what we want to do through this food fest is not only have conversations around how African food is shaping the world of nutrition through our superfoods, you know, how African food is changing business and trade, but also we're going to have celebrity chefs. We're going to have a food fair. We're going to have music. Um, oh, to, so and it, it's not just for the diaspora populations. It's for the mainstream. Mm -hmm. It's really going to make a lot of, uh, build a lot of momentum and these linkages between chefs in Africa, chefs in Canada, um, buyers uh, for major buyers, uh, retailers, um, and our entrepreneurs. So really trying to bridge those gaps and build those bridges uh, through the convening. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And then the last piece is around helping with, and I don't know if that's still another food fellowship or if you're doing that separately around the supporting in terms of products. And so helping, yeah. you know, with branding, packaging, all that sort of regulatory and then also logistics pieces around putting African products into the global market or marketplace yeah so that food fellowship is definitely a big part of it um and then we're going to be opportunistically partnering with the usda um, fda all of those type of regulatory agencies as well to ease the barriers for african entrepreneurs i've already been in conversations with a lot of the u.s agencies um and we will amplify that work as we process uh progress with our food entrepreneurs i think starting with the 10 makes it mm -hmm. very practical yeah um but then you use them as a as a, a, a lever 
to amplify some of the, the work, but also to address many of the barriers that have prevented us from being able yeah. to enter and scale. Um, and there are some major barriers. Uh, I've mentioned the logistics challenges, mm -hmm. the cost of shipping one kg, um, air freighting one kg is about $10 right now. Yeah, um, and that's just prohibitive. Yeah. And sea freight, many of our ports are, are very um, inefficient. And so if you have a shelf life of one year, if you spend three months in the ports, right. yeah. that reduces your shelf life to nine months. Many retailers don't want to take a product that only yeah. has a nine month shelf life. Um, so we really have to get around some of these bottlenecks in our countries, on the continent, but also globally. And so um, I'm already working with some of our agencies on the ground here to see, and uh, I had a very good discussion recently with AfriExim. Um, they are quite excited. Mm -hmm. So there are a few, you know, the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement, there are a few agencies that will partner on the ground in Africa to try to address some of the bottlenecks, but we need partnerships globally yeah. as well. Oh, that's, that's all so, ex I'm so excited. <laughs> it's like, it's super early and I'm just like, I've just been woken up <laughs> by all of this great news. Awesome. Okay. So we will take a short break here. And then when we come back, I want us to talk about your new book and dive into that subject a little bit. So your new, um, Ndidi's new book is titled Food Entrepreneurs in Africa, Scaling Resilient Agriculture Businesses. And I think that is so critical and addresses a lot of the problems, some of the problems you have on the continent, but then also um, the opportunity that we have that we've actually just discussed a little bit here. So we'll take a quick break and we will be right back. Good food is worth a thousand words. This is Arthi Menon, and I'm delighted to share a new podcast with you, My Family Recipe, from Food52 and Heritage Radio Network. Adapted from Food52's much-loved column of the same name, the My Family Recipe podcast will bring its pages to life. Each episode of My Family Recipe brings you a cherished heirloom recipe and the story behind it, from voices across the world of food. We'd open these tubs of dough, and it's they would exhaust these incredible yeasty fumes and it just smelled like nothing else. It was so intoxicating. I'll interview writers and chefs, parents and children about what's passed down along with the foods that we know and love. Chinese people aren't like born with a download on how to like velvet chicken. You know, like that's not something that just like comes to you. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. So back from our break, um, and now we're going to talk to Didi about her new book. So, like, first of all, like, why a book? I'm always fascinated by people, especially people like you who are super busy deciding to take on a book. So why, why a book in particular? And then um, this topic specifically. Well, thank you. That's a great question. And, you know, I've written a number of books over the oh, years. Okay. I've become increasingly focused on writing more books because I don't think there are enough voices from our mm -hmm. continent um, that are taking ownership of our space. And I go to conferences globally and people who have been in Africa for two weeks are authorities <laughs> on the continent. And those of us who live on the continent just don't write. Mm -hmm. um, and we don't... Um, 
research and write. And even if we, we conduct research, we don't publish. And so I've written a number of books. One more recently it was called Social Innovation in Africa, A Practical mm. Guide for Scaling Impact. And I wrote that book because I started all these ventures that were struggling to scale. And so scaling was, you know, at the forefront of mm-hmm. my mind. And then as I delved into the agriculture and food landscape, every other week, people would write me and say, Didi, I want to enter the cassava sector. Mm. Can you send me information about cassava? Or my father left a, a, a cocoa plantation. I need your advice on what I should do with it. And I was repeatedly sending people resources and links and information. And I was like, you know what? There has to be a way that mm-hmm. we can put this in one place. Um, so we created Nourishing Africa, which is a, a virtual platform, which now has data and funding and podcasts and information, everything you need to know, mm-hmm. one-stop shop, food and agriculture entrepreneurs. And right now we have users in 36 African countries. Oh, wow. And it's run by two young women who are dynamic. Um, but what I also realized was we need to put together a, a, a handbook for people who want to enter and scale in the food and agricultural landscape. So that's what this book is. It's a practical how-to book on what it takes to start and scale a f- business in the food and agricultural landscape. And I spent a year as a, a senior fellow at the Harvard Kennedy School mm-hmm. working on this book. And then I interviewed over 80 entrepreneurs in the food and agricultural landscape oh, wow. across Africa that are scaling. And their stories are so inspiring. And so their case studies are captured in this book. So the book has a range of chapters, mm-hmm. one on the opportunities in the landscape um, and the realities. We both have challenges and we have opportunities. So that's right. the first chapter. Then the second chapter goes through what I think is probably the most important piece of work on the business models that scale. Uh, because it's not every business idea that right. is scalable. <laughs> It has to be demand-driven. It has to be, you know, ha- have measurable impact, a strong communications and branding strategy. It has to have systems and structures that enable um, scaling. It has to leverage innovation and technology. And COVID-19 has shown us anything. Your business wow. cannot, even in the food and agriculture sector, if it doesn't leverage innovation and technology, um, it has to shape the ecosystem in which it works. And this is around enabling policy um, and if your, your, your ecosystem doesn't have enabling policy, how do you shape it? And finally, it has to be resilience to shocks and um, crisis like COVID-19, like climate yeah. change. And you have to build resilience into your DNA. And I have practical examples of most of the companies that started that didn't pivot. If you don't pivot and you don't adapt, mm-hmm. you either fail or you have to reinvent yourself. And then I have a chapter on on, uh, leveraging innovation, technology, and data for scaling. Um, and then I have a chapter on... Uh, talent for scaling because we all need the right team members, the right board members, the right partners. Um, A chapter on financing scaling, which talks about all the different opportunities for funding in our landscape um, and how to identify the right funding at the right time. And then a chapter on building resilience, a chapter on shaping your ecosystem and a chapter on branding, um, communications um, and really telling your story. Uh, so it's a one-stop shop. It's yeah. not a novel. It has, <laughs> it has tables and worksheets and uh, case studies, but it's really um, practical, inspiring. And I think it's my gift to the to the agriculture and food ecosystem in Africa. Oh, wow. That that was, so, first of all, that was so comprehensive. You answered like my next three questions. So, so, um, so thank you. And then also like I... Uh, 
again, I will share the resource so people know like where to, 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 to find and get the book. But again, to, to your credit, it sounds like a wonderful resource touches on, I guess maybe the one question that I, I want to ask you more directly, because you talked about talent, because I was going to ask you about, you know, innovation, um, uh, the role of agriculture in, in, in terms of climate change and how we're addressing that. It seems like all of that stuff you covered under probably the resilience piece. Um, one thing I wanted to get your perspective on is like, how do we make the, and that's maybe from a, a policy perspective actually, but how do we then make agriculture um, more attractive to young people, right? Because we know across the continent that unemployment, and I would say maybe especially so in, in, in Nigeria, youth unemployment is pretty high. And I don't remember what the numbers are, but I remember I, um, I moderated an agriculture panel a couple of years ago. And I remember sharing something, you know, a statistic from the World Bank that said that, you know, while agriculture continues to be the largest employer of African youth, it had gone down from about 70 or 80%, I think, in the in your late 80s, early 90s, to now around 50, 55%. So it's declining because there's, I don't know if it's not, not sexy anymore, but on the contrast, or, you know, it's like there are no jobs. So it's, I don't know. I don't know what your take is on, on, on that. I think it's a combination of being policy driven and I don't know what the private sector can do to, to make it, you know, more attractive to young people who are looking for jobs, you know? Yes, yes. No, definitely. I agree with you that there's definitely a challenge around youth unemployment in Africa and in Nigeria in particular. Um, the Nigerian Bureau of Statistics says 33% of our young people, uh, our country um, is unemployed, 33% of able-bodied adults. So when you zero in on the youth population, yeah. um, about 50 to 60% are unemployed and 78 to 80% are underemployed. And so it's it's a huge challenge. Mm -hmm. Now, why don't people flock to agriculture and agribusiness in particular? I would say a couple of things we've identified through our work. Number one is definitely a branding problem. Mm -hmm. People still associate agriculture and the food ecosystem with poverty. Um, we have a program at Sahel called Sahel Scholars Program. We go to universities to get young people excited about agriculture. And this is even an agriculture of faculties. So they've signed up to study agriculture. And when you ask them, <laughs> you know, was it their first choice? They say no. Second choice, no. Third choice. <laughs> literally, they couldn't get into anything else. They ended up with agriculture as their, their major, the agricultural extension, economics, whatever. Mm -hmm. And they're trying yeah. to get out because they think this is not going to get me anything yeah. in life. So we first of all dispel that rumor by showcasing opportunities in the sector and our staff who are thriving in the sector. Mm -hmm. And we have uh, internships for them and scholarships. And this is where private sector can come in because I think everybody complains about talents in our sector. Most people can't find good staff. Meanwhile, our young people are looking for jobs. And so bridging that communication and branding gap by offering internships and scholarships starts to change mindsets. Mm. We also think very narrowly about agriculture and we think of farming, right? right? But Ace Foods is a food processing company. It's an in the agribusiness landscape, right? So it is in the sector. Uh, Nestle is in the sector. Nigerian breweries is in the sector. Heineken. You know, so when you think about all of these companies, they are in the sector and they need um, graduates who understand agriculture and agribusiness. So I think we have to 
private sector has to partner with our, our governments first to revamp the curriculum, to make sure that the curriculum is relevant for the 21st century and to prepare young people for success in this sector. We also have to showcase role models and offer internships and scholarships to change mindsets. The second big thing we need is we need to create pathways for young people to enter the sector because it's still very opaque um, and last week I spoke on a session with Jabberman, which is one of the largest online uh, mm-hmm. yeah. agencies. And I'm so excited to see companies uh, like Jabberman and others starting to recognize we need to play a critical role in building this bridge um, and helping young people enter the sector. And so those, those pathways are critical. So you're actually helping shape the narrative, but also the right job descriptions, the right placements, um, so that we can find the talent and the talent can be matched with the right companies. And then the third thing we really need is we need a revamped approach to financing young people. So a lot of young people are entering ag tech, which is really exciting. They're innovating. And when you see companies like Blue Moon in in Ethiopia that actively targets engineering schools and gets engineers excited about solving problems in agriculture or actively targets um, business schools and gets young people in business excited about solving problems in agriculture. So you're building bridges between faculties because it's an ecosystem solution. Um, And so what we're seeing is uh, that type of the accelerators, the incubators, all have the business development centers all have a critical role to play and they need financing, they need training, they need support and the government can provide a lot of that um, and an enabling environment to build bridges. I've been trying to change the Nigerian curriculum in agribusiness for a long time, mandating that everybody who's studying business should study agribusiness as a mandatory course. Everybody who's studying agriculture should study business because we need to shift this mindset yeah. that agriculture is a science so that, that it's a business, that it's an intro, a gateway to entrepreneurship. Um, so I'm starting to see some changes across the board, uh, but it's slow, and we need to accelerate yeah. a lot of these. Oh, sorry, we need That's to accelerate okay. a lot of these high high impact solutions. Hold on for a second. Yeah, no problem. Hi. Hello. You're yeah, back. you're back. Yeah, okay, yeah. we're, we're going to wrap up. Thank you so much. Like this, this is real, super insightful. Um, and I hope that as pe- people who are listening and who've been listening to me for a while, at least hear some of the stuff I've been saying being echoed by someone who's who's been doing the work for a really long time and, and understand the urgency, but then also the opportunity that we have here to, you know, to make an impact in the world by, by changing narratives, <laughs> if, if I must say. Um, so before we wrap up, um, can you let people know where they can find you online? So the website, social media, um, I don't know if it's, it's even there's an email that you want people to connect with you on. So whoever is listening and whatever like ecosystems to belong to that they feel could be helpful. Sure, I would love to connect with all of you. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at Ndidi Muneli, on Twitter at Ndidi Muneli as well, and different organizations I'm involved in, changingnarrativesafrica.com, nourishingafrica.com, uh, sahelconsults.com, 
acefoods.com and <laughs> then uh, organization. and if you want to find the book uh, we're on Amazon and uh, Rutledge is the publisher in the UK but you can also get digital copies so just go to www.sahelconsults backslash F-E-A-I Food Entrepreneurs in Africa F-E-A-I okay. I will share the links um, when the episode yes. com- comes out so people can easily Definitely. click through so I'll share it in the podcast show notes and then also on social media so people can have access to that um so very quickly because i know you you have to run um I, but i still want to do these fun questions with you just so people get to know yeah. a little bit better um so are you a morning person or a night person morning person <laughs> <laughs> yeah like me waking up super early now morning person um if you could live on one dish for the rest of your life what what would it be Hmm, fried yam and stew. Oh, oh, I haven't had fried yam in a while, in a minute, man. And then um, you've won an award for your most notable achievement. What what would it be called? I just won an award, which was co- jointly with my husband, which is probably one of the greatest awards we've gotten. And it was the 2021 Harvard Business School Distinguished Alumni Award, Ooh, which is given to congrats. Yeah, that's the amazing. Top, the top alumni who have who have graduated from Harvard Business School for us, it was a huge, huge award because we got it alongside some really amazing people. Um, and uh, people who are much more accomplished, much uh, richer. Don't, don't, don't. Uh, <laughs> you you well, are super God, accomplished. And you're to God be the glory. So that was yeah. a very special award and we were really humbled. And they came and spent a week at Nitro doing a video on us. Oh, that's the highest award that Harvard Business School gives. So for me, that was huge. That's incredible. Um, See, and I didn't even know that. So this wasn't even, I didn't know that. So that's that's great to hear for people to hear that too. Um, And my last question, which is almost like choosing your favorite child, but (laughs) what's your favorite African food product from like, you know, entrepreneurs that you've met? Um, What sort of a food product do you want us, do you want to put us on to? Of course, Ace Foods is the best food <laughs> product. We have the best spices in the world. Ginger, turmeric, tulia, jalap. So Ace Foods is down. <laughs> all right. And as I said, everyone, I'll put the links to all of Indeedee's wonderful work um, in the show notes and also on social so you can interact with it. Um, I want to thank Indeedee for your time. Um, I know it's precious. It's a pleasure engaging with you. Thanks for your good work, y'all. Thank you to all of you listeners. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Item 13, an African food podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. To keep up to date, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Item 13 Podcast. Item 13 is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. 
Heritage Radio Network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.